0: Forgot to turn my mic on, and all that time I had didn't do the one thing I needed to do. Uh, well, good morning, church. Good morning. Good, morning. It's good to see you again. It's Been a while. Uh, I wanted to just give a quick shout out because I'm going to be doing a little bit of walking, and some of you have already noticed that um, I've got a little bit of a limp. It's because I sprained my knee. So, just want to give you a shout out. I'm not like trying to have like cool swagger or anything. I'm, I, that train has passed. I'm not cool. I get it. They can attest. Brett said amen. So just wanted to give it a bit. Don't be like, didn't want that to be a distraction. Like, oh, that's weird. What? Uh, I, <laughs> I was trying to jump over a puddle, and I didn't quite make it. I landed in the puddle with a sprained knee. So that's how it happened. Um, thank you for asking. Uh, all right, so before we dive into God's word, let us go to him in prayer, and then we will jump in. Father, we thank you for... Uh, A morning that we can come, though it is cold, uh, though it is snowing, uh, God, that we can come and we can uh, gather around and uh, our hearts, our souls can be warmed uh, by the fire of your word. God, would uh, today, would you conform us uh, to the image of Christ? Would you use your word to uh, teach us not what we can do, not what we have to do, but God, would we respond by knowing who you are? Uh, So, God, let us uh, study, orient our hearts, focus our minds. God, let me not speak my words but your own. In your son's precious name, all God's people said, amen. So we are starting in Romans 6 today. We've been going through the book of Romans, and as, we, uh, as is the case through uh, much of the book of Romans, we have to sort of go back and say, okay, here's what Paul has been talking about so we can understand what he's going to talk about now. So as we go, we go backwards, uh, we remember Paul began uh, speaking uh, about the bad news. He gave us the bad news. He said, hey, you are a sinner who is condemned by God. You are an enemy of God. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. You are, you are condemned uh, under your, your own conscience. Uh, the, uh, you are going to face the Lord's justice. But then he goes in and he starts laying out the answer, how we can be justified before God. And it is not by our own actions it is not by anything that we do but in uh, a lot of words Paul very simply explains that there is one thing necessary uh, to be justified before God there's one thing that you need to have the gift of God's grace to have peace with God and that one thing is faith we talked about Abraham's faith and and Paul says that faith is uh, faith in the saving life death and resurrection of Jesus gives us peace justifies us before the law or before God we don't have to follow the law, we don't have to be baptized. All we have to do is have faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's where we come to today as we as we uh, open chapter 6. And and it, it begs a question that many of us have had to wrestle with, that many of these teenagers probably ask. And I I asked a lot as a teenager. It's a huge question. And so the the all of chapter 6 is is dealing with answering this one big question. So Uh, If you will, read with me uh, Romans, uh, all of the entirety of chapter 6, is what Paul writes to the church in Rome under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin uh, sin will not have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know? That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Either of sin, which leads to death, I lost my place, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, were one, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. and have And having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin, death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the, God, uh, the word of the Lord. So, go back to the very beginning of the text, verse one. Paul asks this question that I'm sure uh, we've all asked, and I'm 100 sure teenagers are currently asking. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Or, more simply, in kind of our language, I've got God's grace, he's already paid for it, so I can just do whatever I want. Like, be honest, have you thought that to yourself? It's like, well, if Jesus already paid for it, I can just continue in my sin. And I I want to pause on that just for one second, because this, it kind of feels like a ridiculous question. And Paul sort of treats it like one. His, his answer is very quick and, and simple, but this is the natural reaction to hearing the truth of the gospel. The, the, God's gift is so radical. His gift of grace is so unbelievable that we should hear it and be like, wait a minute. God's going to forgive all of my sin against him? That's great news. Well, I can just I can go on and I can, I can live however I'd like to live. The fact that God would pardon any of our sin is radical it's unbelievable and it's so big and vast so that when we present it to people we say hey god is going to forgive you for your sins against him he is no longer going to condemn you we should honestly we should hope and pray that their reaction is the same that they should think god's going to pay for my sin i i I, we should be tempted to think I, i can just do whatever i please but the answer does not end not there. We have to engage our mind, engage our hearts. And Paul gives this very quick and simple answer to the question. He says, by no means is that the case. By no means are we to continue to live in sin when we know the gift of the grace of God. And he, he, he continues to say that it is impossible. We cannot do it. And this is why. Because when we are freed from sin by death, and we are bound to Christ in life. We are free from sin by death, and we are bound to Christ in life. And so we're going to unpack that uh, going through uh, all of uh, chapter 6. Paul's going to explain that we cannot continue living in sin once we are in Christ. We cannot live a life that presumes upon upon God's grace. Because you are in Christ, you are united in him. You are united in his death and, and in his life. His death uh, applied to you frees you from the power and the reign of sin, and you are united to him in his resurrection life. You are united to him in his uh, power that defeated sin and defeated death. We're going to look at three markers of someone who is united to Christ, someone who is united to Christ in his death and in his life. So we're going to say these are the three markers, that you bury who you were, You be who you are, and you belong to who you serve. So bury who you were, you be who you are, and you belong to whom you serve. So with all that in mind, let's go into the very first. You bury who you were. So Paul's first move and sort of anticipates this question. And and what does he say? What does he look in verse 2? He says, uh, by no means, why can we not continue to live in sin? How can we who died to sin still live in it he points us to our own death he says you if you are in christ have died to sin he says you have been baptized into his death baptized uh, meaning submerged right you have been put under death just as christ has been put under death when we put someone in that tank and we put them under the water we do it for a reason because it is a burial they are baptized into death it's almost like signing a death certificate to your old self. There is a person from before who I, when I knew Christ, before when I encountered Christ, and that person is dead. That person is not just different. We're not just going on a new uh, path in life. No, after we have encountered Christ, we aren't just different, we are dead. Our old self has been put to death. So... Paul says we can no longer continue to live in our old sinful ways because the person who was prone to live that way is dead. They have passed away. They've moved on. That life is over. We cannot continue to live in sin because the the person who is stuck in those sin patterns is dead. They're not just different. They're not just on a up on the up and up. They're gone. They're dead. But the good news is we have not just been united to Christ in his death, but also in his life. As we uh, go up and we put someone in that tank, we do not hold them under the water and keep them there, because we are not only united to Christ in his death, but we pull them up out of the water, and we usually say, raised to walk in newness of life. We get that language uh, from from verse, uh, let's see, where is it? Four. End of verse four. We might walk in in newness of life. So it doesn't end with our death. We resurrect. We are united in life. So we are putting away our old self. We are burying who we used to be, and we are walking and waking up in a new life that is united to Christ in, in his, his, the very power that resurrected him from the dead, the very power that caused his heart to start beating again. We are united to that power. We can trust and we can know that our lives will be changed tangibly and, and radically will be sent on a different path because we have that power in our lives. When, when Christ takes hold of you, when you say Christ is my king, it's, it's more than just saying I'm going to be different. It's more than just saying uh, I, I'm going to do this uh, more. I'm going I'm to read my Bible more. I'm going to do all these things, all this action. No, 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 that's not what it is. It's saying, hey, y- the power that brought me back to life is now bringing you back to life. The old person is gone and the new person has, has sprung up. And God begins to, to supernaturally form you and conform you into the image of his son. You are united in the resurrection of Jesus, the same curse or the same power that's going to reverse the curse of the future, right? The earth is, is broken, it's shattered, there's sin, but God's very power is going to reverse all of that, there will be no more death, no more cancer, no more uh, no more sickness, nothing, no more COVID. Praise God. The pow- li- Listen, we want that. We long for COVID to be over. But the power that's going to defeat COVID, that's going to defeat every sickness under the sun, if you are in Christ, it lives in you. So Paul continues uh, in 7, he says, we have been united with Christ in his death. And resurrection, we're able to bury who we were. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We are free from the power that previously sin had over us. It's not a a physical death, it is our spiritual death and resurrection. The power of sin has been overthrown in our hearts so we can begin to live like Jesus. We can begin to live as someone who has been conformed to the image of Christ. It even says that our old ways are nothing. So some of you are, are sitting here and you are broken over your sin. You are embarrassed because of ways you have lived. You are guilt ridden. You have shame. I feel that way sometimes. And if you feel that way, I just want you to hear, I wish I could just like get a syringe and like inject this truth into your heart. I wish I could eject it right into me. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Nothing. If you're in Christ this morning, your sin from before you were a believer, from yesterday and the day before and the day before that, from, from 50 years prior, you've been following the Lord for 50 years, all that sin has been reduced to nothing. It is nothing. It's not, it's not that it's just not seen. It's not swept under the rug. It's not that we're just like we're just going to kind of ignore it. No, it doesn't exist. It's nothing. It has been crucified with Christ on the cross, and unlike Jesus, it stayed dead. So, This raises another question, though. If that's true, if if all of the power of sin has been overthrown in my heart, if all of that sin has been crucified with Christ, Ryan, why is it so hard for me to not sin? Why is it so hard for me? Why am I constantly tempted? Why am I constantly surrounded by broken relationships? I want you to think about uh, a city. Think like way back medieval times or something. There's a city, a fortress with people around it, and there's an evil king an evil government that rules over this city and and the king is bad hurting people taxing people all this all this bad stuff right then imagine that uh, a, a, a rebel force comes in and they overthrow that king and they start to to rule the city and they're they're a kinder government they are uh, good to the people they're they're generous with their resources what wouldn't happen immediately is that this city would, all of everyone would just be like, oh yeah, I was, there was that old guy and now there's this new guy and I'm, I'm loyal to them. No, there would still be units that were loyal to the old king in the city. There would still be people who were spreading secrets, rumors about the new government saying, hey, it's not really that good. It's not really that way. And so there's still infiltration in this kingdom that's now good, that's now ruled by a good king, there is still evil within it. Well, our hearts are the same way. We were once ruled and, uh, and uh, there was, the sin was sovereign over our hearts, over our actions, over our thoughts. But when you are in Christ, when you have accepted Christ, that kingdom is overthrown. Sin no longer reigns over your heart. The power of sin is no longer reigning over you. But there are still those pockets that are loyal to the old ways. Isn't it better to be like this? Wouldn't it be better to act like that? Is the new king really that good? The death of Christ has liberated our hearts from the ruling power of sin. Think, before Christ, you were unconcerned with your sinfulness. You did not care if you sinned before you knew Jesus. The only thing that kept you from sinning was your own broken conscience. But when we are united with Christ and and we can bury who we were, we begin to act in new ways, think in new ways. Our, our, our minds and our hearts are no longer the, ruled by our sin and what we want, but they are new, now ruled by a, a new kingdom. That's the first reason we cannot keep willfully sinning, because we are a new person, a new creation, with a new king ruling on the throne of our hearts. The person you were has died, and though your sinful desires are not quite dead, they no longer rule over your hearts. So we die with Christ. We've been died and resurrected with Christ. We've buried who we were and now we are a new creation and we can start behaving and being who we were meant to be. We've buried who we were and now we can be who we are. So Paul, he, he gives us this whole sort of theological framework. He says, this is why uh, you cannot keep on sinning because you've been killed with Christ on the cross, you've been resurrected with him, so now He gives a few imperatives. What must we do to live this new life as someone who is united with Christ? The first one comes in verse 10. Look at it. He says, because death has died and life has lived, so you must also, here it is, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The first thing that Paul wants us to do is consider our new life. Simply think about the new life you have been given to live in the power and grace of Jesus Christ. I'll, I'll give you a minute. Just think about it. Done. We did it. Let's move on. I'm just kidding. It's a little bit deeper than that. It's a a little bit uh, harder than that because I believe once Paul is saying, you have to grasp the reality of this new life. This new life you have been given is real. You have been changed by it. Everything about you has been changed. It it morphs our desires, our our values, our our words, how we speak. It changes our, our politics, how we treat our families. It changes what we do on the weekend. It changes everything about us. It's radically different living in this new reality. If we are to be who we are, if we are to live as people who are united to Christ in death and in life, we have to figure out what that looks like. There's this neurological disorder, and I'm gonna, I am going had to type it out phonetically. Um, it's called prosopagnosia. 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 I had to say it three times. I don't know why. It's commonly referred to as face blindness. So I, I read a story about this woman who, in her 30s, discovered that she could not recognize faces. She always recognized people by their clothes or their hair or, like, their body, by their gait, how they walk. She, I'd be really recognizable to her. Look at this very interesting gait right now. But she discovered she was at the, gro- the the grocery store with her husband, and she went up to a guy, and she was like, man, when have you started buying organic peanut butter? She thought it was her husband, and it was a guy who was wearing the same shirt as him. And it kind of sent her on this journey of of discovering that she had this, this disease, that she had this disorder called prosopagnosia. And so she was doing studying and she was doing research and she learned that people, some people have it so severely that if they are shown a picture of themselves, that they do not recognize them. They, they show a picture of their own face, kind of like with the hair covered, no clothes, just like, think of like a nun in a habit, just the face is showing. They can't even recognize themselves. And neurologists believe that it's because of the brain, there's some disconnect, the brain cannot put all of the individual pieces of what makes up a face together. So they can recognize eyes and they can rec- recognize noses and mouths and ears and, and all of these things, but they can't put it together and, and see one unit as a face. It gets all jumbled up. And so they to, to help, the therapy these people go through is, hey, start looking and start recognizing uh, small things about your partner, small things about yourself, the, the curve of, like, your eyebrow or, uh, uh, interesting like, m- freckle or mole or how you smile in this really unique way recognize small things about yourself that if you see a picture you can say oh this is me i know this person and i think we have sort of a spiritual face blindness sometimes that we forget who we are in christ like these people who can't recognize themselves in the mirror, what we have to do is wake up every morning and remind ourselves who we are. But it's really hard sometimes to, to look at these big theological, I'm buried with Christ and his death and I'm resurrected with him and his resurrection and I, I've got this new spirit. It's really hard to like compile all that really big theological stuff. And so we have to look at the small things, the small ways God is renewing you day by day, by day the small things he is faithful to the small ways we are becoming to look more like Jesus the seeing and considering those small changes is enough to make us remember who we are in Christ Matt Chandler he says it like this that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day every morning we have to wake up and we have to consider we have to remember that we were dead in our sin but God has come and he has made us alive We're not called to be perfect, but we're called to be faithful, and we're being changed over time into the image of God. And he's lavishing us with his love and his acceptance and his grace. And the question is, how could we wake up and want to be anything else? How could we wake up and want to be anyone but the person who God has chosen and and saved and renewed and seen and loved? How could we ever want to go back to the, the old life? if what we are proclaiming about Jesus, if what we are proclaiming about God in the the first opening verses of chapter 6 is true, if we really sit and we consider that, we study God's goodness in our lives day by day by day, how could we do anything but live in the light of his goodness? We could never, we would never want to willingly choose to go back and sin in those old ways. We would never want to presume upon his grace. So in in verse 12, we we, we have to consider who we are in Christ and then we must not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. We refuse to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. Jesus has already deposed the the reign of sin, the power of sin, so now it's our duty, it's our responsibility to keep it from sneaking back in. When When we Uh, want to when we're tempted towards sin we have to be on guard to to fight against that when we want to uh, speak ill of another person or we want to be really nasty on social media we have to remember that that is not the reign of christ that is the old person we've buried that person we no longer have to act like that person we are now someone who can use their instruments use their members as instruments of righteousness No longer do we use our members as instruments of unrighteousness, but rather as righteousness. This is crazy hearing this from Paul. Paul, two chapters ago, you said that I was a sinner who could only deserve the wrath of God, and I could never do anything righteous, and I could never repress my sinful nature, and I couldn't do do anything to, to be justified before God. And that's true, but now that you've been united in Christ, now that you are buried with him and a new person has been resurrected, we can be who we are. We can put on the robes of righteousness and serve God faithfully. The script has flipped. It's freeing that Paul lays out that we have been enslaved to sin. It has had dominion over us, and there is no chance of us escaping the consequences. But now, one thing has come in. Faith in Jesus Christ has come in, and the script has been flipped. And because of his death and resurrection, we can be free, we can bury who we were, and we can be who we are. What did you find on the web, Siri? Why did the veil tear in two at the moment of Jesus' death? I'll read about it later. We can bury who you were, and we can be free to be who we are. We can live our life as a person has been set free by the power of the gospel we've been set free by the power of the gospel if we truly want to sit and live under the saving power of the, the saving power of the life death and resurrection of the son we will consciously want to live out righteous action do righteous things not because we know it saves us but we do it out of love and care and the compassion that god has showed for us But this is only half the argument Paul makes. I, there's a way to hear everything that I just said and this be who you are and say, well, I can just go off and be the person God made me to be. I can just go off and live life according to my own conscience because God has saved me. God has rescued me. And that is what Paul is arguing against in the very beginning. So do not, do not hear me say like, hey, you've been saved. Go, go live in freedom how you want. Or go live in freedom how you think God wants. No, after we've been buried uh, with Christ and raised uh, in his life, we've been united to Christ, we must belong to him. But lastly, we must belong to who we serve. You must belong to who you serve. Paul wraps up this entire argument. He restates the question. Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And again, he says no. And then verse 16 is kind of when he says, Final answer. He says that we are enslaved to something. He says you are going to be obedient to someone. The great theologian Bob Dylan said, it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Thanks, Mike. I heard the laugh. See, a lot of people want to think that we have been saved from enslavement to total freedom. Hey, we're no longer bound by the power of sin. We get to live in freedom. But what Paul says is, hey, you have been saved from enslavement to sin to enslavement to righteousness. And this sounds like a bad thing to our American ears. We don't want to be enslaved. We're we're individuals. We want to to wake up. We want to, to go do our own thing. We want to, hey, yeah, we'll give God some of this. But I want to continue to do my own thing. Paul, that's not how he treats it. He says, thank God that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness. Thank God that you are a slave. The very simple answer of why we can't continue to live in sin so that grace may abound is because when you have been extended the grace of God, you have been enslaved to it. We don't just ask Jesus into our hearts. We don't just Uh, Jesus is not just a friend of ours Jesus is a friend of mine We like to think of Jesus as a friend Or as a teacher or as a brother But we don't like to think of Jesus As our master To be truly marked By someone who's living As united with Christ Is to take off the shackles of sin Say I'm done with this And to walk to Jesus And pick up the shackles that are bound to him And put them on and say, I am yours. Not just you're my savior, not just you're my friend, you are my master. Slavery, a slave, is the property of their master. Their property. They can do whatever they want with their slave if the master is a bad master they can beat their slave they can brand them they could kill their slave with no repercussions it's like it's like a it's an object so how can paul thank god that we have made been made objects how can he thank god knowing that we are going from enslavement to enslavement well it's because he knows that we are not going to serve a bad master it's because he knows that jesus is a good master We are slaves to righteousness. We are slaves to God. And that notion, that that idea, kills so many of our preconceived notions about our life. It kills them. If we want to live in response to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that means we put ourselves to death and we wake up and we say, Tell me what to do. You're my master. I have nothing. I have no dreams. I have no desires. I have no ideas. I am a tool in your hand. And all we have to do is read this, know this book, and we will know what we are called to. We'll know what the master is commanding us to. It is service to the body. It is loving people who are hard to love. Later in the book, Paul's going to say, your command is to outdo one another in showing honor. So that means, hey, when someone's wrong, you don't always have to tell them. It's to confess sin. It's to spread the good news. It's to live a life that's full of true convictions, but gentle rebukes. Beautiful ministries, good, forgiving, honest, vulnerable relationships. Enslavement to God means that we can serve no other master. We can serve no political party. We can serve no public opinion. We cannot even serve ourselves. See, this passage would never fly in a self-help book. This passage is not going to come up in the, the Christian help section at Target. From the outside looking in, this is not an attractive call. Nobody wants to be a slave, but it is the only way to respond to the gospel. If you want to respond to the gospel, Paul says, die to embrace life, and he says, "Freedom is found by enslavement. Die, and you'll embrace life. And if you want to be free, enslave yourself to God." This morning, there's a place you're feeling trapped, you're feeling bound, you're feeling stuck. Instead of uniting yourself to that thing and saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out of it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get through this," instead of Climbing up the endless ladder of advancement at work instead of seeking out the, the needless approval of people around you, rather than chasing that thing you think is going to make you happy or secure, bind yourself to Christ. Unite yourself with Him. Say, God, you are the only thing that matters to me. You are my master. Because He is a master who is good. And he does not treat you like property. He finds you infinitely valuable. Paul finishes the argument by saying, you're going to get one of two wages. And in the Roman world, slaves were, were paid wages. And so he says, you're going to serve sin or you're going to serve righteousness. And he says, if you serve sin, you're going to get your payment. And that payment is death. You may believe that you are living it up, that you're making all the best decisions. You're building yourself up. You only need me, myself, and I. And you're going to get your payment at the end of your days, and your payment is going to be death. If you allow Jesus to work in you, if the old person is buried, and you start living in light of his righteousness, and you belong to him as a slave, you will be sanctified. And you will be given life eternal. Paul tells us the payment of being a slave to righteousness is twofold. You get to be sanctified. You are made over time into the image of Christ. Christ who loved perfectly. He spoke truth. And he had beautiful friendships and life-filled interactions with people all around him. And he faithfully served the Father. He's the only one who's ever truly lived a good life. Paul's saying if you are bound to him, if you are a slave to Christ, your life is going to look like that. That is good news. That's a good wage. That is a good outcome. And not only that, that's not the only thing you get, but you also get to eternally live like this. You get to eternally live as one who has beautiful friendships and life-filled interactions and no anger or vitriol or hatred in your life. You get to do that forever with your brothers and sisters. We, we know the beginning of, of chapter 6, verse 23. We all know that the wages of sin is death, but we forget that the payment of life is getting to be like Christ and to know him eternally. That is what you get. That is your payment for being bound, for being a slave to Christ. And it sounds like a pretty good deal. Some of you this morning, you've never died to yourself. You're still living under the rule of sin and you think you know best. You think you are gonna live the life that is going to uh, save you, you think you are going to do the things that are going to uh, make you right before God, you are enslaved by sin this morning, if that is what you think. That thinking is only going to sow death and destruction. So this morning, I, I'm begging you, take off the shackles. Take off the shackles of sin. Take off the shackles of self-righteousness and bind yourself to Christ. He's a good master and he's mighty to save you. And some of you have have been raised with him again, but you're forgetting that you belong to him. You're forgetting that you are his. You're buried under guilt and shame and embarrassment. The master knows you, and he loves you. He knows everything you've ever done, everything you ever will do, and he loves you as you are eternally. Some of you think that you've done this. You've taken off the shackles of sin, and you think your righteousness is going to be enough, but you don't need to be enslaved to Christ because you're a pretty good person. That is the power of sin rearing its head in your life. And if you truly want to live in response to the gospel, stop relying on your works. Rely on his. The pay is much better. So as we leave this morning, as we reflect on this, let us remember that the kingdom of God is one of unexpected truths. It's upside down because to find life, we must die. And to find freedom, we must be slaves. Let us be mastered by Christ today, tomorrow, and forever. Father, you are good to us. Father, you have given us a good gift that we have done nothing to deserve. So, God, this morning for those that are far from you, for those that are still uh, under the weight of their sin, under the power of sin, God, would you depose that sin? Would you soften their hearts and would you bring them near to you and bind them to you as a slave to their master, their good master? And let them receive the payment of eternal life. God, for those who have been saved, who have buried the old and are living anew, God, would you remind them Use your spirit to remind them that your sin is never too great. That When when you look at them, you see the righteousness of your son, their master. God, that they don't have to do it all. They don't have to get it all right. All they have to do is put on the shackles and bind themselves to you. And in that enslavement to righteousness, they will find freedom. God, remind them that their sin is nothing. It has been crucified on a cross 2,000 years ago and it is dead, it is gone. God, let us day by day by day remind ourselves of the truth of your gospel and not work for you, not work to gain your approval, not to work to gain our own salvation, but God, that we work acts of righteousness because we love you. We want to live as those who are seen and known as disciples, slaves of Jesus Christ. If you are the only one who can break the chains of sin. You are the only one who can unite our hearts to yours. God, would you do it? This God, would you do it? You are the only one who can. In your Son's name, pray. I'll be up here if you'd like to, to pray, or if you'd like to uh, talk to talk to me more about what it means to know Jesus. I'll be up here. There'll be men on the sides. But maybe you just need to sing and and praise him for all the good work he has done in your life. And that is a good thing. So let's stand and let's